0: Well, friends who um who watched the uh, television series um, Lego Masters? Noah, have you helped me out here? We've got the slide up. First one, Lego Masters. Put it up for me. Who watched this? Now, um, who who's like a bit of a, a Lego nut? Who's like who, who are the Lego people in the room? James is a Lego nut. Who's got the hand at the back behind Ken's head? I can't see. Who? Angela's a Lego nut. Any other Lego Lego people in the room who love Lego? Well, let me tell you, we have something very special. So, they had the competition, and we had the final series, and we had these guys come as uh, runners up. And we're very blessed this morning to have one of the runners up of Lego Masters here today. Here he comes, Mark Chuden! Here he comes! Lego master this is the joke, everybody. It's not really him if you, you don't know really what else going on. Here he is. Mark, what are we doing?
1: Okay, okay, everyone. So, our Lego challenge today in the next 40 minutes is I need four teams, two people each. Now, if you don't volunteer, I'm going to come out there and volunteer you. Okay. So, I saw Angie's hand. All right, Angie and Stephen Thompson. Yay! our first team. Tony, are you volunteering or are you running away? Tony's running away. Okay. I need three more teams. All right. Oh, we have the underdog boys. All right, let's go. All right, we've got two teams. All right. Now, I can't see because I've got light in my eyes. Are there any hands up? Oh, Diane. All right. Somebody to partner up with Diane. Oh, and Nikki. All right. Now one more team. Okay. All right, let's go. You've been volunteered. And Melody, you can join us. It's what happens when you get a teacher up. So, our challenge is, Mr. Kelly, could I have the next picture? In the next 40 minutes, 30 minutes, you've got 30 minutes to choose one of the four tables and build the temple. Now, unlike Channel 9 Lego Masters, we don't have a brick room. So, we've stolen children's Lego. I'm looking for three things. Snot. That's a Lego technical term. Studs not on top. Ah. The next thing. I'm looking for technical ability. So, boys, I'm looking at you two. Technical ability. And then the last thing is aesthetics. I want to see a temple with a story. All right. Now I can see bemused faces. Good luck. Your time starts now. All righty. All righty.
0: So the reason, oh, a bit noisy. Help me out, Luke. Thank you. So, the reason we're doing the temple, or they're building the temple, is it's going to be noisy, but it's a bit of a competition for volume today, is because in the book of Ezra, in the book of Ezra, the people return from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So, while I speak for the next 30 minutes, they're going to build, and at the end of my message, in 30 minutes, keep it down, you Lego people. At the end of the 30 minutes, I'm going to go and speak this message at Liverpool, and Mark's going to come, and he's going to judge, well, we're all going to judge, the one that looks most like this. Are you ready for the word this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus, to have a bit of fun at church around Lego. Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us. We thank you for the mission opportunities we have as a church. And Father, as I speak now, that you would guide me, that you would use these words for your purpose and glory. Father, have your way. Remind me what I prepared and may this bring glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Nikki and Diane, you have seats. Yeah, that's for you to sit on, yeah? You can sit down if you want to sit down. And, and feel free to the people around to watch what you're doing and yell advice and say, that's not going to work. Um, help them around whatever you want. We're going to go for it. So the story goes that when I was a young man, I was a delight, a delight. Up to the age of about eight, I was a well-behaved little kid until I hit year four at school and then everything changed. Um, went into year four and I had a teacher who in hindsight was struggling in her, in her personal life, um, wasn't a strong teacher um, and as a result, our, our class ran amok. We ran muck in that year four classroom. I got sent to the principal's office three times that year. I know. And during um, parent-teacher nights, my mum would get it, cop it from about her son, Nathan Ratbag. And then mum would come home and I would cop it. And so I was, I was nine going into year four and at the, at the end of the year, I was turning 10. And I was supposed to get a, a new BMX bike for my 10th birthday. And so mum dangled the carrot and she said... If you change your behavior, you will get your bike. But if you don't change, you're not getting your bike. Well, let's just say that I didn't get the bike at the end of the year. Because I was because of my because of my dis disobedience. I want to talk to you this morning around the around the idea of obedience. Turn to the people around you just for 30 seconds and say. When you, think of, when you think of the word obedience, what comes to mind? When you think of the word obedience, what comes to mind? Talk to the person next to you. Go. Ten seconds left. All righty. What have you got? What are your answers? When you think of obedience, what comes to mind? Who's got an answer? Martin. Dog training. Dog Who thought of dog training? Anyone? Just a few people. Anyone else? Angie's too busy concentrating on Lego. You've got to listen to the message as well, Angela. Listen. So, At the back. Doing what you're told. Obedience. What else for obedience? Yes. Rules. Listening. Submission. Obligation. Someone else? Following. Nice to have you back, Tracy, by the way. Welcome back. Sorry, there's consequences for lack of obedience. The um this this morning's message is entitled "Take the Highway," and you may have seen this on Instagram, on Facebook. We're doing this new thing, thanks to Andrew Lingley, during the week. We're we're putting our sermon um titles and grabbing people's attention up on Facebook and up on Instagram. Love you to share them with your friends. Just share them to your page so that people can find out about what we're doing. Take the highway and. and, and When I talk about take the highway, what I'm really speaking about is taking God's way. God's way, the highway, or being obedient to God. Now, when people think about being obedient to God, I reckon lots of people have this idea of, oh dear, that's going to suck because God wants me to be boring. God wants Christians to be boring without any fun. And if you're obedient to God, that is what life will look like. Some people think God's got all these rules that he wants me to follow, and by doing it, my, my, my life is going to be plain and not much fun if I'm obedient to him. But, but what I want to say this morning is that's the exact opposite of being obedient to God. For the reality is when you're obedient to God, it sets you up for so many options and things in life so that you will thrive. I wrote down some thoughts here. When you're obedient to God, it gives you an opportunity to be part of God's story for for, for the world, God's mission for humanity. You get to be part of his mission. If you choose to be obedient, you have the opportunity to influence people, and not only people, but generations that follow you. When you're obedient to to God, you walk into the life in in abundance that that Jesus has for for, for you John 10:10. 10, 10. When you are obedient to God, it removes shame, it removes it removes guilt because you're not sinning. When you're obedient to God, you learn, you grow and you fulfill the calling God has for your life and by doing that that is just that is just a wonderful thing. Friends, obedience is best. Obedience to God is the best way to live. I was a high school teacher for nine years, started in 2000 at a school called Horrid High School. And I taught lots of year seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, all the way to through year 12. And some of those classes were an absolute dream to teach. And some of the other classes were an absolute nightmare. And you know what the difference was? The obedience of the children. The classes that were wonderful to teach were kids where they came, they wanted to learn. And, and, and when I gave them instructions, they, they obeyed it. And as a result, can you ever do that a bit quieter? Who's that? Is that Angela? Angela, a bit quieter. Shh, shh. It's all right. Many I'm only joking. Um, what was I saying? So these uh, kids would come to class, and we would play guitar, and I'd teach them how to play guitar, and we, I was a music teacher, and we'd set the keyboards up, and we'd learn how to play Beethoven, Beethoven's Riffs, all this stuff, and then the kids would compose their own music, then they'd perform it to the class, and it was fun. We had great times. But then there were this other, these other classes, and there was this, 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 this one class, 8-4, that I had one year, and they were just a nightmare. And let me just say, I tried to teach them, and I use the word tried because I failed miserably. I tried, but these kids, 80% of the time, I was just correcting their behavior. And as a result, because of their disobedience, they didn't get guitar work, they didn't get keyboard work, because I couldn't trust them. They'd break, they'd break the guitars. They wrecked the keyboards. They didn't do that. They didn't compose. They didn't perform. You know what they did every lesson? They simply wrote off the board because that was the only thing I could get them to do that was safe in the classroom where, where I could sort of trust them. They didn't even do that properly. See, when you're obedient, it sets you up for success. When you're disobedient, it wrecks it. You, you, you are missing out on opportunities of life. This morning, I want to take you to Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's lots of distractions this morning. How are we going listening? Is this working or not working? It's working. Good on your mouth, Stay in there. You're a part of it. Hang in there, you guys. It's going to be good. This morning, I want to take you to Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2, where we were at last week. And I want to give you a bit of context. The context is this. We're about 500 years before Jesus. God's people are exiled in Babylon. in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran, Iraq. They have been there for 70 years. And there is no way out for them. They are trapped. Their Jewish way of worship has just been wrecked because they, because they can't get to the temple that's in Jerusalem that's actually been destroyed. They, the people of Israel, God's people, the Jews, were, were in a pretty bad way. But then God makes the impossible possible, last week's message. And he moves the heart of the king of Babylon, which happened to be eventually the king of Persia, King Cyrus, he moves his heart, and King Cyrus has this heart to release God's people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It was something that was like unheard of. God did an incredible thing in these people's lives. But not only did God move in the heart of King Cyrus, he also moved in the people's heart. This is what we read in Ezra chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin. And the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Context again, the people are in Babylon, they're in exile the king says, oh, "God spoken, he wants you to go back and build. And not only does God move the heart of the king, he moves the heart of his people as well. God moves the heart of his people. Who does, whose heart? It says here in verse 5, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin. So what's that about? Well, when Solomon died back in 930 BC, the kingdom of Israel, which is a Big land mass was divided into two. You had the northern tribes in the north, which was called Israel, and that was Dan and Naphtali and Manasseh and Ephraim and all the other sons of Jacob, plus a few sons of Joseph. They were in the north, and then there was two. There was two tribes in the south: Judah and Benjamin in the south. That combined to be to be the land of Judah, and the north was called Israel. So the people in The people in the north were taken into captivity in 722. These people in the south were taken into captivity in 586. Seven years later, these people are about to turn. So God speaks to them, the people in Babylon, to return to their land in Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. He speaks to the priests and the Levites. Levites are another, another group of people. They didn't have a land mass. They were scattered throughout Israel and Judah as a way of pointing people to God. And it says, And everyone whose heart... God had moved. And everyone whose heart God had moved. Now, it doesn't tell us how God changed their heart. We're not told, did God give them a sign? Did God speak to them directly? Did he send an angel? We're not told any of that. But what we do know is that God moved people's hearts so that he could direct them to head from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And the very next and the very next thing is is amazing. And it says everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Friends, there is a big difference between knowing what God wants you to do and doing it. There is a big difference between knowing what God wants you to do and doing it. The people knew that God wanted them to go. God moved in their heart. He he stirred in their heart for them to go. But then there's a big step between knowing what God wants and obedience. And to this people's credit, they were obedient. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, we, we see people who know what God wanted them to do and went the other way, the story of Jonah. Remember, Jonah gets told by God to go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He went the other way. He was disobedient. Eventually, God got in there. Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, but I don't talk good, and I can't do this, and I can't. I tried to get out of it. And eventually, he went, all right, God, I will go. He was eventually obedient. King David had the law, wrote all those songs, and yet he was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a cheat. David did these horrible things. He, he disobeyed God. And throughout the Old Testament... We have the law and what God wants for his people, and yet the people continuing to disobey God. Friends, I wonder how different that is to me and you today. Rubber hits the road. Let's get real this morning. You know, God's will for our life is very clear. We open up the New Testament, and we see the teaching of Jesus. We see the writings of Paul and Paul and these writers. Jesus says how he wants us to treat one another. And in your life groups this week, you're going to look at the Sermon of the Mount, and you're going to look at what... What our God wants you to do and the benefits of that. The Bible's clear on how God wants us to treat people, how he wants us to use our money. God's clear that he wants us to share our faith with our friends and family. He tells us how he wants to spend our time. He tells us how he wants us to treat our family, how to use our gifts and talents. He tells us that he wants us to trust him. He wants he wants us to surrender to him. He tells us what to stay away from, and yet I wonder. How obedient are we? How obedient are we to what God wants us to do? For there is a big difference between knowing what God wants you to do and being obedient to that. How is your obedience this morning? How is your obedience? In our first week in in May, in our May Mission Month series, we um, had this. And um, I feel you guys were part of the Apple Stacking Challenge. And the, and the title of the message was, It's Our Turn. And in that message, I, we, I went to Matthew chapter 28. Here's Matthew chapter 28. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, not heaven on earth, has been given to me. Jesus says, after his resurrection, this is after his resurrection, he's about to go into heaven. He speaks to his disciples and says, Therefore, go, there's a, there's a command and make disciples and make followers of all people groups, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And, and I looked at each one of those things in the message, and we went to Acts, and we filled it out. And, and, and we saw through the book, of, the book of Acts how this Matthew 28 was fulfilled. I was listening to a, to a guy preach a, a couple of weeks ago, and he preached on this passage, and he pointed out something that I didn't he pointed out this word, obey. In verse 20, Jesus says, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Not just teach them what I commanded you. Don't just give them lots of knowledge about how to love people, how to treat people, how to use your finances, how to share your faith. Don't just teach them the stuff I want them to know. But rather, don't just teach the knowledge, but teach it in a way they live it out. Teach them to obey the truth of Jesus. Teach them to obey the way Jesus wants them to live. Don't just know it, but obey it. Something that I miss, and it's clear, it's, it's there, it's clear as day. But Jesus wants us to be people who obey, obey him. And, but the thing about obedience, friends, is that obedience can be tough. Being obedient can, to God isn't isn't the, the culturally relevant and culturally normal thing to do. If you tell someone you're living in a way that you're obedient to God in Australia today, people might look at you a bit weird. They might think, um, what's, what's wrong with you? Isn't that religion thing out of date? You still follow a book that was written all that time ago. Surely society's moved on. We've, we've progressed. And they can look at you a bit funny, friends, because, of, because the reality is being obedient to God can be tough. And in the book of Ezra, we see these people choosing to be obedient to God. But because of their obedience, they went through a tough season. Here are some of the things that was tough for them. Number one was this. They were going into the unknown. 70 years had passed. There only a few people left who saw the original temple. The vast majority hadn't been to Jerusalem, hadn't seen this temple that was going to be built. And so they were going into the unknown, and going into the unknown makes people nervous. Raise your hand this morning. If going into the unknown makes you nervous, it can make you nervous. And when God speaks to you about the thing he wants you to do, he wants you to share your faith with your next door neighbor, friend, that's unknown. That can make you nervous. Obedience can be tough. For the people of Israel, they went to a place they, most of them didn't even know. They were going into the unknown. How were the people who were living there going to treat them? Were they going to make the journey? What was it going to be like? Was there going to be enough food? Was there going to be enough water? How were the people going to treat us who were there? They were going into the unknown. Obedience can be tough. The second thing is that they walked into persecution, and Sam Riley is going to speak on this next Sunday. Ezra 3.3. It says that as the people went back to rebuild the temple, which you four groups are doing right now, we want to look in... That looks awesome, Melody, by the way. Well done, Michelle. I'm sure you are. No, I doubt it. Um, That's going to be great. Um, as 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 they went back to rebuild the temple, the Bible says that they went back to Jerusalem and there were people already living there. People who didn't leave with the exile, people that had moved in from the south. And they'd been there for 70 years. And as they started to build the temple, they were like, who are you? You're coming into this space that I now have. You you are changing our society's culture, our customs. And these people that were currently living there for for when the people came back in Ezra 3, started to make it difficult for them, started to pull them down, and eventually got the building stopped. We'll read about that later. It meant persecution. Persecution. It meant hard work for the people of Israel, for the people moving out of Babylon. You know, this is what it says in um, Ezra chapter two, verse sixty-four to sixty-six. The whole assembly together was forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty people. These are the people that left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. There was forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty people, besides the male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. and they had two hundred male and female singers. They had 700, 736 horses, they had mules, 245, 435 camels, and their donkeys were 6,720. Friends, they took all those people, plus the cattle and all that stuff, 1,500 kilometers from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Talk about tough. That would have been hard work. The, 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 the strategy. How do you move 50,000 people? One and a half thousand kilometers. We just jump on a plane, don't we? Get a bus, get a train. They were on foot. They had to take the water and the food. Friends, it was hard work. And the reality is, obedience can be tough for us. As Christians living in the 21st century, when God speaks to us about what He wants us to do, it can be tough because it means for us that we could be going into the unknown. God says, I want you to give this amount of money to missions. And you think to yourself, Hang on to God, I need to pay this bill and this bill. How am I going to you going into the unknown? But obedience means that. It might mean going to Cambodia on one of the mission trips that we're planning. God, I don't know what it's gonna be like. What's the food gonna be like? Are the kids gonna be okay? Is the water okay to drink? Michelle, what does it mean to get the techno shots? We're going to a third world country with our children. All these unknown things. It can be tough. Here's another thought there's persecution for us. More than any, like in the last 50 years in Australia, Christians are being persecuted. We're mocked. Israel Falau quotes a Bible verse on Instagram and he gets slammed for it because he pretty much quotes a Bible verse. He may not have had pretty, pretty pictures and maybe whatever, but it was scripture he pretty much wrote and he got slammed for it. And if you say you're a Christian today, people look at you and go, Are you crazy? How can you believe in a God? When there's so much suffering in the world, people will give you a hard time by stepping out and standing up for Jesus and sharing your faith, friends. Obedience can be hard work as you go and do the things that God wants you to do. Obedience can be tough, but on the other side, friends, there are obedient. There are benefits of being obedient. There are benefits to being obedient for the for the people for the Israelites coming back out of Babylon. They had an opportunity to play their part in God's story. When I was a, a young man, um, Michael Jackson, any Michael Jackson fans in the room? No. Thriller, thriller now. He put this 20th anniversary album together called History, and it was all about his story. Who remembers that? Yeah, you remember that? And, and even back then, it got me thinking about history and Michael Jackson's story. But the reality is that the story of the world is actually his story his story. The past is actually his story of God's plan to rescue humanity. God's plan to have a people that are his, that would worship him and worship his son, that one day when he rebuilds this earth and we get a new heaven and a new earth, a people that would love him and honor him and serve him. That's always been part of God's plan. And God's story is his rescue mission of humanity from the first fall to the place where people worship God and honor him. And friends, when we're obedient. We get to play our part in God's story. And that's what the people did in in Ezra. They went back and rebuilt the temple, the place of worship that stood for 500 years. It was rebuilt again just before Jesus in about 19 BC with Herod. But it stood for 500 years that that temple built. And it was a place where people got to worship, the place where the high priest could go and encounter God once a year. It was a place where they sacrificed the animals to cover over sin. Those people going back to rebuild the temple, it impacted generations as they got a part in God's story. Another benefit of being obedient is that when you're obedient, God supplies all your needs. In this story, it's incredible. In verse 6 of Ezra chapter 1, it says... All their neighbors assisted them as they went. They gave them articles of silver and gold with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. God says to Cyrus, "Send the people to build the temple. God moves in their heart and as the people were about to go, all their neighbors, the people who weren 't going, gave them the resources they need needed to go and then there 's this amazing bit again in Ezra chapter one in verse seven and eight. It says moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord that were ripped out 70 years earlier, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed them in the temple of his God. They took all the good stuff out of the the temple in Jerusalem, all the gold and all the stuff, and they put it in one of their pagan gods' temple. King Cyrus says, Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by that person, the treasurer, who counted them out to that person, the prince of Judah. So so, So they got all the stuff that was originally in the temple and they gave it back. Friends, the reality is when you're obedient to God, you do the things that he wants you to do. You use your finances in the way he wants you to do it. You're obedient. He meets your needs, the benefits of obedience. Three, it gives you an opportunity to trust God. When you're obedient, you step out and you say, all right, God, I'm stepping into the unknown, but I'm going to trust you in this moment. I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to step out. And as you do, you have the opportunity to trust him. And as you trust him in one thing, he sees it. He goes, awesome. Then he speaks to you again about the next thing. And you have an opportunity to step out again and trust him again. Oh, God, we're going to believe you for this. And he does it again. And you step out again and you trust him again and he meets you again. And more and more and bigger and bigger and more responsibility and more opportunity. God gives you more as you trust him. Because he loves it when you, when you put your faith and you align him. He loves it. And the fourth one is these people had a generational influence. As they rebuilt the temple, it wasn't just for their people. It was a temple that lasted for 500 years, which would have been 10, I don't know, 15 generations of people had that place of worship. It affected the generations, and it's the same with you and me. When we're, when we're obedient to God, there are many benefits. When we share our faith, when we give to mission work, when we love our neighbor, we are partnering in God's story. God's story of rescuing humanity. It's his story. It's his plan. And when you say yes to God, when you choose to be obedient, you step in to his story. You, you step into a life of significance. And who doesn't want that? A life that impacts people's lives. You step into his story. When you're obedient, the benefits is that when you when you do what he wants you to do, he meets your needs. Scripture says it. 2 Corinthians, he meets your needs. The benefits of obedience, it's an opportunity to trust God. As you trust God in one thing, he gives you the next thing. And your trust and your faith builds. About four or five years ago, I wanted I wanted to get fit, and um, Daniel Hackett's an expert in um, Dan's I think i sorry, bald head at the back. There he is. Hi, Dan. Dan's an expert in muscles and body and stuff. I said, Dan, I want to get fit. What do I do? He said, Nathan, the best thing for you is chin-ups. Really? He goes, this is what I think he said anyway. It was five years ago, so if it's wrong, you can tell me later. Because when you do chin-ups, it makes your core and all these, all these muscles work. True, Dan? Do chin-ups. So I started and I did like one on the first day. And and then I got to two, and then I got to five, and then I got to ten, and I, and I, got to, I can do 20 chin-ups now straight away. Straight away. I can jump on the boat do 20. That's because... I worked at it, and I continued to do chin-ups day after day after day, and, 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 I got, and I, my, my capacity for chin-ups got bigger. And it's, the, and it's the same with faith and trust in God. You trust God in a small thing. You step out, all right, God, I'm going to believe you in this area, and he meets you there and goes, wow, God, that was awesome. All right, what's next? The next thing, the bigger thing, the more bigger challenge. All right, God, I'm going to trust you there. All right, God, you met me there. I'm, right, I'm going to believe you for the next thing. And one day, Like you're doing stuff that you never could have thought you'd possibly do because you've trusted God and you put your faith in him and your faith muscle has got bigger. Faith muscle. You like that? Con, give us one of those ones, mate. You got them. Those ones. Faith muscle, that's it, got bigger. Last one, generational influence. The benefits of obedience is is that when you step into God's plan, when you influence for God's kingdom, when you say yes to God, And not only influences the people around you, it affects the generations to come. You know, when you share your faith with a young kid downstairs, thank you for Donna, who's one of our incredible children's leaders, and Greg, and there's many of you guys who serve in children's ministry. When you influence their life, that is a generational influence you're having. And those kids grow up and they share their faith and they teach the next generation of children. Your influence on them is not only reaching this generation, but you're reaching the one after them. And then when these kids grow up and they reach the next generation and they reach the next generation, your input on this generation affects the generations that follow you. And it's not some thing where you make some cool app for a phone. That's nice, yeah? If you make apps for phones, that's great. This is kingdom stuff. This is lives transformed, people saved, communities transformed as people align themselves with God's kingdom. The benefits of obedience... The benefits of obedience. I used to referee soccer back in, Bank, uh, in Bankstown. And there times when I refereed soccer and the people wanted to play. And they wanted to play soccer and you blow off your fouls and stuff. But they actually wanted to play the game and score and have a great time. And those games to referee were an absolute joy because they obeyed the rules. And when they obeyed the rules, everyone enjoyed it. But there were other games where one team had a problem with the other team and they went to start hack. And they went in like these with studs up, and your referee had to pull out yellow cards and send people off with red cards, and they'd get tripped. And rather than get angry at the person that tripped them, they'd go, Referee! They would yell at me because someone tripped them. And I'd say to them, Why are you yelling at me for? I didn't trip you. You're the the person that tripped you. Like, why are you yelling at me for? And so... The more they did that, the the, game got worse, and people didn't enjoy the game because they were were too concerned about getting hacked and having to go to work on Monday rather than enjoying the game. And because when people break the rules in a soccer game, it wrecks it. When people break the rules of life, you're setting yourself up for shame, for guilt, for hurt. But when you're obedient to God, when you're obedient to God, the shame, the guilt, that disappears because you don't walk in sin. When you're obedient to God, you have a generational influence. When you're obedient to God, God meets your needs. When you're obedient to God, you have an opportunity to trust him. When you're obedient to God, you have the opportunity to play your part in God's story. Two last quotes and I'm going to finish. Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You will keep my commands. Jesus says, if you love me, anyone who loved Jesus, Jesus says of you, you will keep my commands. He expects obedience. In the 1950s, there was a guy named Brother Andrew who used to smuggle Bibles into Eastern Europe. And this is what he writes in his book. He says this, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. Talking, this is like a prayer to God. And I'll begin this very minute. Lord, as I stand up from this place and as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step toward complete obedience to you? I will call it the step of yes. Wow. Huge. All in. All in. God desires obedience, friends. And when you're obedient, there are so many benefits. So here's the question to finish. What's one area of your life where you need to choose to be obedient? Is it around the giving? Is it your tithe to the regular giving of the church? Is it mission giving for this month? We still need to raise another $14,000. Is, is that what God's calling you to be obedient in? Is it inviting someone to Alpha? inviting someone to a church service, inviting someone to your life group? Is it loving someone who you know needs love? Is it forgiving someone who you know God wants you to forgive? Is it sharing your faith with someone you know Jesus wants you to share your faith with?